high, washing over them as they form up their flight, loudly calling as they go, telling you this is the real, singing the great impossible, telling you everything. Yes, telling you this is the real, singing the great impossible, telling you everything. Which is what J. David we had to cut it because we're really behind time. But that was um, J. David Cummings, and he was reading from his book, Tancho, published by Ashland Poetry Press. Don't miss Beyond Words, an evening of jazz and poetry at the California Jazz Conservatory, 2087 Addison Street in Berkeley, this Friday, September 2nd. That's where it'll be. Doors open at 7.30. Thank you, Erica Bridgman, and thanks for listening. Nick Scow, that's S-C-H-O-U, is one terrific investigative journalist. He wrote Kill the Messenger, how the CIA's crack cocaine mess destroyed journalist Gary Webb. Scow's new book is Spooked, how the CIA manipulates the media and hoodwinks Hollywood. This one will surprise even the hippest CIA watchers as it reveals how deeply the CIA has embedded itself in liberal Hollywood, turning major films and videos into mass propaganda tools. Nick Scott will be at the Hillside Club, 2286 Cedar Street in Berkeley, Thursday evening, September 15th. He'll be hosted by Greg Bridges. This KPFA benefit has wheelchair access. Tickets available mid-August at brownpapertickets.com and our indie bookshops. Full info on the KPFA website for Nick Scow, September 15th. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover. Welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book Joblin's Bistro, where sometimes we need more than food and water. And today we need theater, we need women writers in theater, and we're going to talk about the Harvest of Mysteries, which is part of the San Francisco Olympians Festival 7. And that begins in October, October 5th specifically, and I'm bringing it to you now because if you're like me, you need to put something on the calendar a month away because things get really busy. We're coming into the holiday season. So today in the studio with me, I have Barbara Wanatskas. She's a writer. And on the phone, Veronica Chu. So we're going to talk with both of them about their part of the festival, what they're writing about, their choices, and have some fun. Veronica, are you here? I need her number. Okay. So, uh, Barbara, while we get Veronica on the phone, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks doing for having great. me here. You're welcome. So, let's start off by you talking to us about exactly what you're doing for the festival. Sure. Uh, so, I am writing a play. Um, it's inspired by the Greek god uh, Thanatos. And um, I'm doing that with uh, a friend and writer. Uh, uh, her name is Julie Jagor. Uh, so, we're co-writing that together. So, here's the thing. What's it like to write with another person? Because I always think of writing as a, such a solitude kind of experience with their own emotions and themes. How did you connect with her and then what's the experience like yeah so um julie and i uh met each other uh through 
uh, Carnegie Mellon, uh, the MFA program that Carnegie Mellon has. And um, actually, both of our moms worked together at Santa Clara University. So we had connected a little bit before that um, and just headed off um, really good friends. Um, and, you know, through the program, you're listening to each other's writing and you're seeing someone go through their process of development um, for creating new pieces. And I always just was fascinated and drawn to uh, Julie's work. Um, and I think there's a lot of symbiosis in what she writes and what I write. So when it came time for um, submissions to be due for the San Francisco um, Olympians Festival, um, I asked Julie if she wanted to do something together, um, partially just because uh, I just thought it would be fun, you know, just to write with another person. Um, and you're right, it is... Um, so pre, I had done a little bit of collaborations with a couple other writers, um, but uh, I had never um, worked in this manner before. And so um, what's been really interesting is seeing sort of where one would, you know, typically get um, hung up in their own process and sort of, uh, you know, it would take a little bit longer to unravel those cords. Uh, Julie and I, when we work together, we can um, be asking each other questions and really push each other um, to get to that next level a lot quicker. Which so is really you almost awesome. have continued the work you did in your program together. Right. Exactly. What is your piece in the festival? Um, so it's on uh, the Greek god uh, Thanatos, and he is the god of nonviolent death. So, so tell us about the festival, so the audience get a sense of what happens with the writers and the actors. And Veronica, you on the phone? Yes. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. How you doing? Well, thanks. Okay, great. Sorry about that mild mix-up, I um, but I'm glad you're here with us, with Barbara yeah, and myself. And so, uh, Veronica's going to tell us what she's going to be doing at the festival, and then I'd like you to come in and talk about what piece you're going to do as a writer, and how that's That sounds working. great. Okay, good. So, Veronica, what are you, no, Barbara, what are you uh, writing? Uh, so, Thanatos is um, the god of nonviolent death, and um, so you can kind of think of him um, like the Grim Reaper in a way. Um, and there's been a lot of different gods that sort of um, represent that role of taking someone from the world of the living into the world of the dead. Um, and uh, Thanatos is, th is thought of one of them. Um, so what we're doing is we almost thought of it as a um, kind of a detective story, actually, where the world is out of balance and um, there's Thanatos, who's uh, a god of nonviolent death, though in ours um, we decided to make Thanatos female. And then there's Kere, or the Kere spirits were the goddesses of violent death. And so everything has kind of gotten mixed up. Um, and uh, what happens is that Thanatos starts having all these dreams. And Hypnos, um, Thanatos's um, twin sister in this version, uh, starts to be able to unravel these dreams and let her know that um, things are out of balance. And it's because she's starting to feel. So it, it uh, sounds like the festival takes Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, and takes these gods, goddesses, and then hand that over to writers. And then writers take that theme, that mythology, and then create something in either present time or somewhere close to that in other characters. Yes, absolutely. But it varies with the, the, with the similar characteristics. Mm -hmm. Veronica. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what is your play in the festival that's beginning October 
5th, the Harvest of Mysteries, San Francisco Olympians Festival, number 7. What are you doing? So my play is uh, about Nephthys. Um, this year we've added in a few um, Egyptian um, myths and uh, characters and gods. Tell us so about my the, the mythology of that, so the audience Yeah. That. Yeah, the mythology, and then you add a, you adapt one of those myths um, to something that you propose. And so mine is Nephthys, and she's a, a lesser-known Egyptian death goddess, um, younger sister of the better-known Isis, um, which is a, also an Egyptian death goddess. And uh, so they're both seen together very often, and they look almost identical, but um, Isis is better known, and she's the goddess of fertility and being a mother as well. Um, and Nephthys is lesser known, but she's the goddess of things that kind of go along with that. Like, so instead of fertility and being a mother, she's the goddess of childbirth, for instance, and nursing babes in arms and kind of like the dirty grunt work of, of things that are more mundane and less, you know, glamorous. Um, and so in terms of I, the, the pair of sisters, I'm, I'm working with this idea that you know, one of these sisters is super celebrated, and she's married to, like, the hotshot god who's everyone admires and um, who's all the humans adore. And then Nephthys, on the other hand, is kind of like the younger sister who is there but just hasn't quite figured things out yet. <laughs> and she kind of um, is in, more in the shadows. Living in her sister's shadows. Yeah, and, and she actually is known as... Um, the, the shadow of her sister. People will call Isis the sweet wind that refreshes, which is very flattering. And then they will refer to Nephthys as Isis's faint shadow. So, um, kind of. So it sounds like in your play, you're actually exploring siblings, relationships that we all see the thing that plays itself out. Anyone who's born not or only child of a boy. Sure. I mean, but born with you know, siblings, then you have to deal with that sort of placement of firstborn yeah. child. Was that your intentions? Yeah. Yes, but also, I mean, kind of in a larger sense, you know, in the ways that we, we look at other people living their lives and feel like, oh, that person's doing really well, and I'm maybe not, you know, in, in such ways. And that it's, it is about siblings, but it's not in terms of a competitive nature, but more so that, you know, um, you can be different facets of life together and you're so close but you're so separate too like this is very positive and optimistic all the time and everything always seems to be coming up roses for her and things come harder to to nest my nephew's character and uh you know she's she's more prone to being melancholy and i feel like there are those of us just in the greater society and community of humanity to whom things come slower <laughs> and you know don't come so easy and aren't so flashy mm-hmm. um so i think it, it is about siblings but it's also it can be applied to a greater a greater um context Absolutely, I can see that as well. One of the wonderful things that uh, about the festival is that the the call is put out there by Stuart and his partner is uh, Cody. Cody. Cody, and so they put the call out there for writers, and then uh, writers choose a theme of what um, mythological figure they want to, and then they write up a synopsis of what they'll do with that, and then this wonderful thing that has been happening that if you could speak about Barbara over the last two days, I saw all the writers have put their pieces out there and they select directors. And then all of a sudden, as Stuart said, this overwhelming amount 
of actors who just love this festival. What was that process for you like, witnessing people coming in and you having to choose which, you and the director choosing which person would be best fit this the story you're writing? What was it like for you? Uh, it was such a fantastic experience, and it, and it really is unlike a lot of other audition processes that I've been to, um, because one, uh, what you get is, um, you know, typically in an audition process, you might prepare a monologue, and you might, um, you know, uh, deliver that, or maybe another one um, in that process. But in this one, um, the monologues are all selected for you by the writers and directors, so uh, there's little slips of paper that have monologues from TV shows and films and plays and, you know, just a variety of different things. And so um, it all, uh, the actors all select uh, a monologue in a, on a random basis. And then um, they deliver that monologue um, in a group. And then writers and directors um, ask for adjustments. So could you read um, the monologue um, as if you were being chased or something like that? Or, you know, just a variety of different um, types of uh, uh, ideas to throw in there. And see the kind of range of the possibilities and how instinctual they are in the moment. Exactly, exactly. And the the choices that that, um, people make are so, and a lot of times they, you know, they, they are really funny. They work like right on the fly. But you also see it. These really, um, for me, I was w- looking for these moments of like power, powerful um, intensity. You know, what could uh, someone do with you know, with not a, a, a lot? So you're listening uh, to uh, Javelin's Bistro Cover to Cover, and we're talking about the Harvest of, Fe- of Mysteries beginning October 5th, and it runs throughout October. You can get more information, and it's, oh, it's going to be held at the Exit Theater in San Francisco, and I'm in the studio with Barbara and on the phone, Veronica. There are two of the writers in the festival, and they've been talking about the mythologies they have taken and what they're doing with them in the present time. Uh, Barbara, I would like to ask you to read. I know you've been writing. You're in the, the continuous process before the festival opens. Could you read as a part of your work so we can get a sense of, of what is inside your creative vessel? <laughs> sure, yeah. I'll, um, you know, I'll do my best uh, here. So this, um, I... Write, I write on my blog pretty frequently, and I've started sharing monologues. I've been getting inspired, you know, um, delving into the world of these characters. So this is from that. Um, and it might, you know, end up in the main script or, you know, not, but it's influenced by. So Now that I've started to dream, vivid dreams is true as day. I wonder what it would be like to live there instead of here. I wonder if my experience is tempered and adulterated by the feeling of waking, disorienting light, words that make no sense, symbols, birds flying backwards make no sense, but in the dream world, it's just another thing to notice or ignore. It makes me appreciate the reality we call life much more. Little things like the way the sun creates painting that no artistic genius would be able to put together every day. The way that water feels, the color of people's eyes, the sound of footsteps, wind. Did you know each moment contains so much to be in awe of? I think some of them miss that. What character is that? 
Um, so that's uh, Thanatos. Okay. And Thanatos has just started to dream. So she's never had dreams before. And now, um, all of a sudden, something happens, world of balance, and she's starting to dream and trying to figure out what this means. And really what this comes down to is that she's, she's starting to feel in a way that she uh, didn't have before. I think that's a very, whether it ends up in the script or not, is, or not, is a very rich, uh, vivid um, imagination that you are placing inside of us. So whether it does or not, but there's the possibility of someone being awakened so that they can dream. Just that thought. Veronica. Yes. This has been your second, this will be your second year in the festival. Is that true? Yeah, as a writer. And then I've also read for it once. Ah, you did. So what do you think as a writer and someone who's read for it, what do you think these the mythologies that we witness, how will that impact? What is the connection to present day? So, oh, I, oh, sorry, was there more? <laughs> well, I was just, if you got the question, then I don't need to give you any more than that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think mythology is so interesting because they, it's all of these base primal ideas and emotions and instincts and, uh, situations that we all find ourselves in are so relevant to today um and and they were clearly relevant back then too but it's this like common thread of storytelling of ways that people can figure out or through narrative through poetry what hard and what, beautiful things about life what is example like what was happening then particularly your research for your characters that is happening now in present time well, I guess what jumps out to me, so last time I wrote about the Minotaur myth, which is the half man, half bull, and um, he's treated as a monster, and the theme that year was monsters, and um, hidden away in a labyrinth, and so this idea of being mixed and being in between was um, ostracized back then, and that's what makes a monster scary, is if you're, you're not categorizable, you're you're a mixture. Um, you're not one or the other. And so I, I used that to talk about being mixed race, personally, because it's still this weird area. You're not part of this group, but you're also not part of this other group. And how do you fit into society? So, I mean, these themes have, you know, are, are far-reaching, and the ways that we approach them uh, can be new and fresh, even if the, the stories are old. Okay. Now, here's a question I'm going to put out there for, I'd like both of you to respond to it in the only, in the way that you can. I am under the belief that when we uh, hear language and we adopt that language into our consciousness, we adopt the consciousness of the speaker. Okay. So, I wonder a lot about the way the world is shaped because there hasn't been a lot of language and voices from women. And, is, and so how that has shaped the world. As women writers, do you believe when the numbers become even larger, women writers putting language, performers putting performance, film, whatever that vehicle, do you think the world began to shape itself a little differently? And if so, is there some Greek character or Egyptian character that would be the face of that. 
I know that's a mindful question. It would yeah. take some research, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. <laughs> At least the first half of the, the, do you think women writers, actors, filmmakers, etc., will reshape the world, offer up another consciousness for humanity to exist in? Well, of course. I mean, I think I think any writer does, but I think to you know, as a woman, as as someone who identifies as mixed race and different things, when I see more work done by people who look or sound or think like me, I I feel like worlds of possibility opening up, and and that the types of stories we tell are different, and more importantly, the way that we tell them are different, and. You know, in terms of getting away from like a, a traditional Aristotelian plot structure in which things, you know, have to like build up and then they end and that's it. You know, we women tend to tell stories in a different way with, with, you know, different heights and falls and, you know, more complications to it. And it's, I think it will change not only the way that we tell stories, but also what we believe is possible for a story to be. And, as any good story should be, it shouldn't end there. It should begin a conversation and well, people think about it and hopefully spur other people to talk more and share their ideas. Thank you, um, Barbara. And whilst Barbara is sharing her thoughts on that matter, could you, would you like to shift through and read something of yours? Of what oh, you my. Mean? I don't think I have anything on hand okay. or accessible at the moment. Okay, that's okay. All right, Barbara. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's, um, you know, that's really our power as writers and as artists is to imagine different possibilities. And that's, that's my favorite part, to be honest, is to, um, to do that. Um, you know, <laughs> part of the, uh, it's, I don't know. It's interesting because in the creation of, uh, Thanatos, um, Julie and I were talking and Kare, um, you know, is, uh, perceived as, um, as a goddess, as a female. Um, but she's the goddess of, uh, violent death. And then, um, uh, Thanatos was the god of, uh, nonviolent death. So male, female. And, you know, we were trying to figure out our cast. Um, like, who do we, you know, who do we need? Um, and what is the uh, gender going to be of the, our characters? And so when we had this cast that was, um, Thanatos male, Hypnos male, Kare female, um, Morpheus male, it just, if there was something just wasn't sitting right, because what happens is if Kara is the antagonist and is female and she's the only female in the play, then suddenly you're put back into that position of the woman being like wrong and uh, she's the obstacle that we need to fix or get around. And so we're like, well, why don't we just make Thanatos and Hypnos female, too? And that opened up all this possibility because suddenly these characters were, you know, you might have this sort of struggling, you know, like I said, it was a detective story. So the struggling kind of, um, you know, lead character um, that that you don't get to see a lot of times played by a woman. Um, so the nuances and complexities of um, what it means to doubt yourself without it having to be because um, something was done to you in your past and like you have to like get over that for some reason. Those are always the stories that I sometimes see as um, of women where, you know, you have this strong character, but it's really not, not that she's strong. It's that she's putting on this face because you know, she had to do, you know, that she's getting over something in the past, like being abused or something. And I, you know, I think that it's important to create characters that 
Um, with a, you know, with a male character, you wouldn't necessarily have that. You don't have that explanation of why is this male character a strong male character? Oh, it's because he was damaged in the past. I mean, sometimes you get into that, but. You're absolutely right. This discussion came up, uh, maybe within a week about women having almost feel like they have to have some damaged part of themselves to enter into the world and to become something. Oh, that's interesting. How do you think that would shift consciousness as more films, art, theater, writings extracted that out of the narrative? What do you think we would have as a the femaleness of it all? Well, you know, so let me give you an example. Um, you know, the, there's all these characters sometimes that are like um, successful, successful character. You say successful, like businessman or businessman. See, I just did it too. You know, like you say, you you usually put, um, or a lot of times, it's easy to put a male figure in that role. But what if you had a successful woman? That was top of her game, and you you looked at her, you um, you listened to her, the way that she spoke, um, and she was, um, y- you know, she was great, and you know, to everyone, it wasn't like she had to, ju- you know, like sort of, um, I don't know, justify it by any reason. She just is. Yeah, she just simply is. is. This is the way I'm made up. This is who I am. This is what the the spiritual force has allowed me. Period. Yeah. And it's not that she's perfect, because that's the danger, you know, with female characters, too, you know, is that they get put on the pedestal and they're put in this position where it's, oh, you're perfect, you're a goddess, it's not attainable. And if we had a woman that was, you know, I am a successful woman and um, this is how I improved myself. You know, knowing that I could do this well and continue to do this well and um, remain on that trajectory. Veronica. Yeah, I just wanted to add on because it's it's so true. And we end up having to justify, you know, why we have women characters in certain power positions or if even if they're awkward or weird or strange or strong, we have to justify them, their existence there. Why are they like that when we don't have to do that with a lot of male characters, for instance? And that also spreads wider into, you know, just the diversity in all facets of diversity, you know, gender, spectrum, sexuality, spectrum, background, ethnicity, um, ableism, like everything. There's there's so many kind of levels in which there is so little representation. Or if they are represented, then it's like, well, this is my strong woman character. Or, you know, as opposed to, well, she's just a character and she is who she is. You know, and, and so I'm looking forward to kind of seeing more more diversity, and not for the sake of diversity, but just just because. You're listening to... If that makes any sense. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. We're, you're listening to two writers from the San Francisco Olympians Festival. This is their seventh year, and it starts October 5th, Harvest of Mysteries. So, and, uh, Barbara and Veronica, uh, I'd like to ask this question in our last uh, remaining minutes. In your writing process, I know, Barbara, you're co-writing, Um, Veronica, you're writing on your own, but inside of the process, what has shocked you most that you've learned about you writing about these mythological figures and bringing them into present time? Is anything that shocked you, either one of you, about you Mm -hmm. or that felt familiar or unfamiliar? About the subject matter or just the subject matter? The subject, because the subject matter is like the person who dreams. It has to, like your character you just read from, the subject matter has to have done something. What was it, has taught you about yourself? 
What have you struggled against? What would give? Did anything give you like, oh wow, I didn't even think about it this way? That's what. Well, for me, mm-hmm. for me, I don't know if anything has shocked me so far. But I guess what I will say is that the way I go about writing a play is that um, I feel like we all have. <laughs> this is going to sound strange. We all have like a dryer in our soul that's constantly spinning like a wet pair of jeans and it won't get dried. And that's like the thing that we're all like mulling over and can't figure out. And like, why is this thing still like kind of rattling around inside me? So when I go to write a play, I try and take out that wet pair of jeans and figure out how to dry it. Well, on that note, (laughs) as we leave, everybody check out the wet pair of jeans or that lost sock. You've been listening to my guests, Barbara and Veronica, Harvest of Mysteries, beginning October 5th at the Exit Theater in San Francisco. Thank our engineer, Erica. a statement from a local station board candidate. The views expressed are not those of KPFA management or staff. Hi, I'm T.M. Scruggs, listener candidate for the KPFA local station board. I'm an educator, musician, and a longtime social activist. I speak Spanish and have volunteered at community radio stations in the U.S. and Latin America. Everywhere, I've seen the importance of a locally controlled, independent source for news and analysis and for musical and cultural connection. I'm a co-founder of therealnews.com and work with truthout.org. Both are Internet-based. KPFA and Pacifica need to further ramp up our use of the Internet and new technologies like live streaming and podcasts. My top priority is to save our stations from their current financial mess. I share the commitment to non-commercial, community-based broadcasting of other UCR candidates available at United 